My message today is entitled, A Light Contrast. If you had to tell someone what a Christian was or what a Christian is, I'm curious what your definition would be. If you simply said one who believes in Jesus, would that be enough? Not according to the Bible. For Scripture clearly states that even the demons believe and tremble. Since we know for a fact that demons are not Christians, how else could you explain what a Christian is? You can't say one who attends church or one who reads the Bible because there are people who do these things for the sole purpose of trying to find accusations against Christians. The truth is that many people have a hard time defining Christianity because of what we truly are, according to the Bible. What we truly are is a conglomeration of complete contradictions to the world. A.W. Tozer has stated, God has revealed so many glorious contradictions in the lives and conduct of genuine Christian believers that it is small wonder that we are such an amazement to the world. According to the Bible, being a Christian goes against human wisdom and human sense. In fact, throughout Scripture, God tells us that trying to understand Him with our human logic is impossible. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Is it possible that one reason why many Christians aren't as, aren't as eager and committed to sharing their faith with others is because they really don't understand what it means to be a Christian themselves? There are many biblical scholars who have declared, the more I learn about God the more I realize I don't know. 1 Corinthians verse one, chapter 1, verse 27 says this, But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. So I ask you, why does God seemingly make it so hard to understand Him? The truth is that He is God, and we are not. Because of our limited knowledge and wisdom and perspective, we cannot know everything about God in all His ways. And it is precisely that fact which keeps many people from fully coming to Jesus. If I can't know Him, then I'm not, I can't trust Him, so I'm not going to go to Him. Often the more intellectual a person is, the harder it is to believe in God because of a perceived need to understand something completely in order to accept it. How about you? Is anything happened in your life that you can't explain? Has anything unfair happened or unjust or you don't know why it's happened or why God allowed it, but you just continue to trust Him? 
You see, we cannot fully explain and fully understand all that God is, all that God does, and all that God allows in His will to bring about His perfect plan. This is where faith comes in. The world can't describe faith. Hebrews 11.6 puts it this way, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. In fact, it's impossible to know him without allowing yourself to rest on faith for what you can't explain or can't understand. When we come to God, we must believe that He is God because His Word and His Spirit declares this to be true. And thus our faith has to fill the gap where we don't understand everything perfectly. But it is this diligence that empowers us to be motivated by knowing Him more. By not just seeking His hand, but by seeking His face by seeking to understand Him through the study of the Word and by discerning to hear His voice through prayer. And that's what really gets God's attention. That even though you don't understand and even though we can't possibly understand everything, you still diligently seek Him. You're not discouraged because it doesn't make sense. You are rather drawn closer to Him because of your faith. In fact, as we seek Him by faith and refuse to be discouraged by what we don't fully understand, God rewards our journey of faith to know Him more. And yet I still don't think we realize how many glorious contradictions there are in understanding who we are as Christians. So this message today will touch on how walking in the light of Jesus against the backdrop of the world's darkness, makes us become the contrast that defines who we really are. Our first contradiction of the Christian is that we are dead, but we live forever. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 says, Do you not know that as, a, as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we were baptized into His death? Do you understand that baptism is not a ceremonial rite that simply means we are Christian? What it actually means is that we are baptized into the death of Christ. Symbolically, in believer's baptism, when a person is dunked underwater, we identify with Christ being buried in the earth. When a person comes up out of the water, we identify with Christ Jesus rising from the dead into new life. Romans 6, verse 4. Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Baptism is the outward sign of what Christ has done on the inside of a believer. And thus, going forward, we are called to follow Jesus in the newness 
of life and walk as He has commanded us to walk. Romans 6, verse 5. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man, our old ways, was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. This is the beauty of this first contradiction. We are dead to sin so that it no longer has mastery over us. We are no longer its slave. Of course, we will be tempted. And yes, we will all sin at times. But sin no longer has mastery over a Christian who has truly died to sin at the point of baptism. A Christian is no longer bound in condemnation if he truly died to his sins when coming to Christ. And yet not everyone has understood this completely. Not everyone was taught this truth. Coming to Jesus is not about God giving you a wonderful life and a wonderful plan. It's about you dying to your sin so that sin no longer holds you in condemnation and that you come to Christ and old things are passed away and behold, all things become new. Amen? If you have found yourself still struggling to overcome the same sin because you are still walking in daily condemnation, then I invite you to the waters of believer's baptism with the full truth of what it is. To truly die to your sins so that you may live in His power and His righteousness. Romans 6, 7, and 8. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Verse 9. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over Him. The reason why understanding this first contradiction is so important is because once we have truly died to sin, the enemy cannot tempt us with fear. Death no longer has dominion over the one who has died to sin and now lives by faith in Christ. This is exactly what the Word of God proclaims. Romans 6, 10 and 11. For the death that Christ died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. doesn't mean you will never sin. We have a sin nature and so we sin. But sin no longer has mastery over us. It cannot hold us in condemnation. It cannot say to us, God wants nothing to do with you because you've sinned. That is a lie. If we are dead to sin, we do not walk in condemnation. We walk in the newness of life. And we have a Redeemer who when we go to Him, freely forgives us. If we repent and confess our sins, He freely forgives us and He says, now walk in the newness of life. That's a wonderful promise we have through Jesus Christ. 
The second glorious contradiction of a Christian is how we save by losing. Matthew 16, 24. Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. You see, the only way that we can follow Jesus is if we deny ourselves. Otherwise, we follow ourselves and our desires and our logic. Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you have to deny those things. Matthew 16, verse 25. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. How does that make any sense? It doesn't to the world. It doesn't to our human logic. The only way that we can save our life is to lose it. But if we lose our life, for the sake of following Jesus, then we will find it. This is not a Dr. Seuss rhyme or a riddle. This is if I lose my life, if I give up my will, my fleshly desires, and choose to follow God, even when it doesn't make sense, then I'm truly going to find who I've been created to be. Everything the devil does in tempting us against the truth of Jesus tries to get us to save our lives. The devil does not want us to deny us. He wants us to try to save or to self-preserve. Temptation tries to get us to feed our flesh, to give in to its desires, to not admit wrongdoing, to not confess wrong motivations that nobody knows about except us and God. Temptation tells us that we always have to stay in control. All of these are temptations from the devil. Trying to get us to save our life instead of losing it for Jesus. When we see people who are unwilling to admit any wrong, or unwilling to submit to God's Word in their lives, or unwilling to forgive, then this is a sign that they are being led more by Satan's temptations to save their own life. That's not what Jesus taught us to do. The truth is that Jesus is trying to bring us to the end of ourselves where we turn complete control over to Him. Is that frightening? Sure it is. But that fear comes from the enemy that we need to stay in control, that I don't want to give up control, but God says, only if you do can you come to me. We have to by faith believe Jesus at His Word. Or else we give up the reins of our life. We have to do that, to give up the reins so that God can save us. We have to deny ourselves. If we don't give up the reins of control and if we don't fall all the way down into admitting that we are powerless to save ourselves, then Christ cannot and will not save us. We must be broken before He can fully restore us. We must come to the end of ourselves to reach the beginning with Christ. If you are honest, have you fully come to the end of yourself? Are you willing to freely admit that you need to submit to Jesus? 
and that your need to submit to Him is greater than your need to be right or your need to be in control. If not, I invite you to come to Jesus anew. Even if you've been in church for many, many, many years, but you haven't tossed this or fully realized this, I invite you to come to Him anew with the full understanding of what He requires of those who follow Him according to His commands. The truth is that there are many people who have been going to church their whole lives. But many, many years later, they find out that they have an incomplete faith because they were never taught or never truly learned what Jesus requires of us as His followers. If this is you, the worst thing you can do is let your pride stand in the way of admitting that you have not fully come to the cross and fully lived your life in the way that you now understand you should according to His Word and conviction. If you're bold enough to be honest, I invite you to come to Jesus anew and begin your journey without shame to truly know Him as He has called you to do. The third glorious contradiction is that we are the strongest when we are the weakest. And God is strongest when we are weakest. 2 Corinthians 12.9 Paul writes this, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. It's enough. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul goes on and says, Most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities. I will brag that I don't have the answers. I will brag that I'm weak. I will not stop talking about how many things I can't do. That the power of Christ may truly rest upon me. By God's divine wisdom and truth, the only way, the only way, that we can access His perfect strength is when we admit, acknowledge, and embrace our weakness. Knowing that the power of Christ will only rest upon us when we admit that we are powerless without Him. And if pride prevents us from admitting weakness, then we never get to the place where we walk in His perfect power. You understand that so many people pray for God. They pray for power, a power of God in their life, and yet they, won't, they will not give up the control. They will not come to the end of themselves. They will not say that I am weak, that I can't do it, and yet they're asking God to give them all the power, and God says, I can't until you come to the end of yourselves. But when you do, i got more than you can even imagine. If we can truly humble ourselves and admit that we are weak, admit that we are helpless without Him, admit that we don't just want Jesus, but we absolutely need Him as much as we need our very next breath, then we have an all-access path to heavenly power. What does this heavenly power enable us to do? I'll tell you. It enables us to love the unlovable. Does anyone have someone in your life besides me 
that is, in human sense, is unlovable. But by God's grace, I can love the unlovable. Does anyone have someone in life that you believe is unforgivable? That what they've done is so fair and so unfair and so bad, and they're unforgivable. But by God's grace and by His heavenly power, I can forgive even the unforgivable. God's heavenly power allows us to survive the improbable. There's no way you can understand how you could survive when something's happened. And yet by His power, He allows me to survive. God's power allows me to overcome the impossible and to stay on the narrow path that leads to Christ in life everlasting. We all need that heavenly divine power, but it only happens when we come to the end of ourselves and say, I can't do it, and God says, thank you, because I can. Thus, once we get this revelation of how to access His perfect strength, then we become a thorn in the devil's side. Because the weaker we become, the stronger Christ becomes in us. Amen? 2 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasures in infirmities and in reproaches and in needs and in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It is strange but true that the Christian is strongest when he is weakest. And when a Christian gets down on his knees thinking he is weak, he is always strong because that power comes from Christ. Well, the fourth glorious contradiction is that the Christian is the most sinless without sin when he feels the most sinful. And the most sinful when he feels the most sinless. How is that possible? It's possible because a true Christian is completely submitted to the Holy Spirit in his or her life. And the Holy Spirit's greatest job is to convict us of sin so that we understand how much we need Jesus because only Jesus can forgive me of my sins and make my life brand new when I submit to Him. John 16.8 Jesus said when He has come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The truth of the matter is that one of the greatest proofs that God is living inside of you is that when you feel conviction in your heart for a wrong thought, a wrongly spoken word, a wrong action, or a wrong motivation, if you are squirming in your seat today or if you feel convicted by any of these words, that's proof that Jesus lives inside of you. That's proof that He is bringing conviction to us. All of us sin. All of us blow it. I make my share of mistakes and bad choices. But when we respond to that conviction, it's proof that God is in us and loves us too much to just let it go. The Bible says He chastens those that He loves. So God brings conviction upon us that we might change and realize our need for Jesus. So that when I'm feeling the most sinful, that's when, I'm fe that's when I am the most sinless because Christ takes away my sins when I acknowledge them. 
There's a difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation leads us further away from God. But conviction leads us closer to God. As long as we are honest with God and acknowledge our sins before Him. It is the humility of a Christian that differentiates him from others. For a Christian growing in the Lord is quick to look at his own shortcomings first and see how he does not measure up with the Word of God instead of making excuses and comparing himself to others. I love this parable in the Gospel of Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. Also, Jesus spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. He went on and he said, Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, which means a really devoutly religious person, and the other a tax collector, who many people looked at as the dirt of the earth. Verse 11. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus within himself, God... I thank you that I am not like other men. I'm not like extortioners and the unjust and adulterers or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. Verse 13. And the tax collector... And the tax collector standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Verse 14, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Listen, there are many ways to define a Christian. And each one of these contradictions does not make any earthly sense. As a result, we find that a Christian who walks in the light of Christ, putting into daily practice the teachings and the examples of our Savior, is a contrast to the world. This is how we become a light in the darkness that Jesus has called us to be. This is how we point people to Jesus. Not because we're all there, but because He is. The world will not be able to explain us because we won't make sense to them. Our goal is not to make sense, but simply to follow Jesus. He will take care of the rest. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may be able to prove what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the wisdom in Your Word. We thank You that You can change us. We thank You even even today for giving us a greater revelation of who You've called us to be in this world. God, we know it doesn't make sense, but by faith we believe You at Your Word. Let us be Your light of contrast in this world of darkness.
We thank you for the promise that you will never leave us nor forsake us as you continue to make us become more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.